Welcome to HR Fresh Take, brought to you by Philly Sherm. Stay fresh with the latest HR trends impacting the Philadelphia region. Today, I am your host, Kayla Blanks. Organizations are expected to be more agile as the needs of the workforce change and new generations join the ranks. Now more than ever, organizations will have to evolve their workplaces and workspaces. In this episode, we'll chat with our guest, Jamel Rush, Director of Inclusion Programs at Google, on what it means to be at work. We'll also discuss how to meet the unique needs of our diverse workforce. Joining in the discussion are host and executive producer, Dr. Joe, and co-producer, Regine Williams. Welcome, Jamil. Thanks for having me, Dr. Joe. <laughs> so excited for you to be here. We really are excited for yeah. you to be here. We've known you for years. It's great to have your perspective because you've been around. Right. And on <laughs> Philly Sherm. So should we also mention that, right? Yes. Veteran Philly Sherm. Veteran Sherm. Philly Sherm. Board member also. Welcome back. I have a bit more gray hairs than when I started with <laughs> Philly Sherm. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, did Philly Sherm do that to mm, you? I plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> So, Jamil, um, even though we know who you are, would you give our audience um, a little take on who you are? Absolutely. Uh, So, as Dr. Joe said, my name is Jamil Rush. I am currently the Director of Inclusion Programs for Google. That means at Google, I lead our team that runs all of our employee resource groups, executive diversity councils, and Google-wide DEI summits. Um, So, at Google, we have about 40,000 Googlers uh, who participate in our ERGs. Uh, and we have 17 resource groups across our 70 different countries. That's wild. 40,000 in just your ERGs? 40,000 in just our ERGs. So that's not even the size of some companies out here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> so we're going to have Kayla kind of bounce off the first question for you. Are you ready? I'm <laughs> for those of you who do not see this, he's trying to be cool. <laughs> so, Ms. Kayla? Yeah, so really excited to jump into this topic with you today because I think over the past, what, two, three years, our workforce has changed, our workplaces have changed, our spaces have changed. So, I'd love to get your perspective a little bit about where should companies be thinking about when they think about bringing people into their organizations or their physical workspaces or not-so-physical workspaces in these virtual places that we're operating in? Yeah, it's such an interesting topic. And I'll start with there's no right answer yet because we don't have the true data around what will and will not work. And I think there's a lot of anecdotal feedback, a lot of preferences, but not a lot of long-term data to support what makes the most sense based on our companies and, and the needs from those organizations I think there's a few things that all organizations should be doing in this moment in time as they're going through this self-reflection exercise around what, quote unquote, return to office looks like. And we know that's a really, really vague and subjective term. Maybe a hostile one. Maybe a hostile (laughs) one to some of the people who hear it. Uh, But I think the first thing that any organization should be doing is really talking to their people. And maybe I'm biased because I'm an HR practitioner by trade. So I think uh, understanding the needs of your people is a really critical component, but actually understanding what are the risks associated with them coming back into the office? What are the benefits? What are the things that could be helped in terms of productivity, which is a a lot of the conversation happening now? Um, What are some of the drawbacks of operating uh, virtually? What's the culture that you have? And what are some of the things you lose or would need to shift culturally in moving to a new environment? 
and using those conversations to inform the ultimate decisions that need to be made. Um, I think a lot of times companies are making decisions based on sunk costs, meaning we've, you know, we've invested in this uh, lease or we have made a commitment to these types of activities or events that are going on versus the things that actually meet the needs for your current workforce and will be most attractive to the future populations joining your company. Yeah, that's such a great point. I, you really emphasized culture there. Could you tell us a little bit about what are some of the things of culture that we should be mindful of? Because I think it's a tough question. Actually, let's let's maybe multi-layer this a little bit. Can you maybe even define what culture is for an organization first and foremost? Because I think that is loosey-goosey a little bit. Um, and then let's talk a little bit about like what are some of the components of your culture that we really should think about as we think about our workplace and workspaces. Yeah, and culture more broadly is it's absolutely one of the most nebulous and critical components of any organization that you have um, because it's really about all of the ways in which you operate. So that includes interpersonal interactions, the way decisions are made, um, the way you interface with clients and customers, and it guides the way people show up to work every day um, and the way they experience your workplace every day. So it is a really broad term because there's so many things that are encompassed inside of culture. And then when you talk about the idea of how you will physically um, operate as an organization, there are implications there because a lot of organizations, for instance, have built their culture on informal interpersonal interactions. That's correct. Right? So you true. get so yeah. much done through break room conversations, through showing up at someone's office or cubicle. Uh, hey, I met you at this employee resource group event or at this other company activity. And those are the ways that I've built connections that have helped me to be successful inside of this organization. So if that's a core tenet of your culture and you're saying don't come back into the office physically, you need to make sure you're aware of how you're going to make up for that gap. Other organizations are a bit more formal in their their structure and the shift to going virtual has little to no impact on the way that decisions and productivity operates. But there are conversations to be had about creativity and innovation that comes from some of those anecdotal contacts. So uh, it really is a broad term, and there are a lot of implications behind the decision that needs to be made because of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's some great points. Yeah, and then I think um, to go back in terms of asking what goes on, is like asking the employees um, what may work best for them. I think leadership has a fear about what those answers are. Um, have you experienced that? Do you think that leaders are ready to ask that question knowing fully well it may not be the answer that they're looking for? Yeah, and I I personally am a believer that uh, your employee voice should inform the decision, not be the exclusive one, right? So as a leader, you should have other data points behind besides just the employee ask. Honestly, there's some days personally, I'm like, I just don't feel like going into the office today. And that's not a that's data like informed. <laughs> it is not a data informed, productivity, culture informed decision. It's just like, I really just want to walk downstairs, right? Mm-hmm. And depending on when you survey me that day, I might say, yeah, I really miss my coworkers or no, I'm good. <laughs> um, so it is a piece of the decision making puzzle, not the piece of the decision-making puzzle. So for each organization, it's really critical to be thinking about what are those other pieces. And look, your employee voice should be a significant component of it. But if you're exclusively saying, do you want to come into the office or do you not want to come into the office? I don't know that that's fair on the employee to make that much pressure on them. Or is it um, the best operating model for an organization? Yeah, I love to even unpack the employee voice a little bit more because 
sometimes one employee's voice can be so loud that it then dictates the the policy and the procedures, right? Especially in the space that you operate in, in, in diversity, equity, inclusion, how do we start to, I guess, capture, acknowledge, recognize, amplify voices that we are not always hearing, maybe, that we're not always able to just get off right from the back because they might not be the loudest speaker in the room or maybe the majority in the room. Yeah. And, and Kayla and I know each other. So we've, we've worked together a long time because I, I think there is loudness of voice. Um, but then there are other implications around representation of um, groups, power within an organization and broader societal factors around how decisions get made across different community sectors that are really important here. Uh, within the DEI space, one of the big conversations I've had in other organizations is around how um, returning to the office during the pandemic impacted those who were immunocompromised, right? So that's that's a big, big data point around how companies need to make those decisions and drive uh, different ways of accessing work for those who have to worry about their health and their life or death situation of coming into an office. Uh, And if you're not thinking about this with a lens around diversity, equity, inclusion, and hearing from those groups that are traditionally underrepresented inside the workplace, you often will be driven by those who have the most power, influence, and access. And unfortunately, within the context of corporate America, that tends to be groups from very um, specific populations. And just to, to clarify, I think the pressure, the outsized pressure we put on employees is when we say you have to make the decision and then you suffer the consequences of that that decision. Well, you said you didn't want to come to the office anyway. Don't complain that you're not connected to your workplace, right? That's that's not fair Mm -hmm. because we know as leaders and especially as HR practitioners, we should be doing the work around what's the implication behind this decision um, and how do we use employee voice to inform that. And I, I don't know that it needs to be super complicated. Uh, in one of my past organizations, we just did an anonymous survey out to the workforce and said, like, hey, here are some options around return to office. What are some of the things that you have as preference? What are some of the things that are top of mind for you as you consider uh, whether or not uh, you want to or can return to the office? What are some things that you would need from us as support? Hey, we took the feedback from it. We shared it with the workplace and said, hey, here's what we've heard from you. That was a really important part. And that step, and we're going to use this to inform our return to office strategy. And when we build it, we're going to come back to you all as our employee groups to say, here's what we're planning based on the feedback and these other factors. Give us feedback on the ultimate decision. So how are you keeping them close throughout the process so that they feel like it's a decision made um, in connection and conjunction with them versus a decision made for them based on the preferences of leaders? So we definitely have generational differences when it comes to returning to the workplace, right? We have Generation Z that they don't care where they are. They think they can work from like Miami or Hawaii. So what do you think? Let's go to the Bahamas. Catch me in Croatia, y'all. Like. <laughs> People so, work great in Miami. <laughs> what, would, what would your piece of advice be for employers that are struggling with the newer generation coming into the workplace where they automatically just want to work remotely and not have that full engagement and experience it in the workplace culture there for them. Yeah, it's. I think it's a, an important conversation to have. And um, I actually, I, I think um, the generational gap might be overstated in that context because I think there are a lot of people who have pressures uh, because they're caretakers, because they're parents, because of a, a whole lot of implications um, that would be counterintuitive to the conversation around generational differences that have implications on uh, return to work for it. I think it's probably less important that 
employers think about it in the context of like, well, these young people won't want to come into the office and everybody else, they're going to come because they're good, good people Mm -hmm. who just show up every day and think about it more around how are we making sure that we are consistently making a decision that makes the most sense for our culture and makes the most sense for our people. Because if you have a defensible data-informed decision, when new employees are exploring your organization, you can say outright, this is fully virtual. You have no need to come into the office every day. We have that space for you if you want to, but just know that that's not part of our company policy. Or we're expecting you to be here for two days a week because on those two days, these are the things that we need to come from our people. Or there's no consistent step time, but we have moments that matter. So every month or every three months, we do these things that we expect people to come into the office for. But you need to do that at the attraction phase of talent. Um, because if you wait until someone gets there Definitely. and make that decision, <laughs> you, you poor, poor, <laughs> poor outcome. What are the, the needs that either like prevent or will promote someone coming into the office? Like, you know, you don't want to pay a heating bill, but someone doesn't want to pay for gas, uh, maybe has a difficult commute. So it's almost like you have to ask these questions and there's no way not to be personal about it and how do we navigate that? I was gonna say, I almost would argue that we have to start talking about the equity of it, right? Because I think one of the things that the pandemic exasperated a bit was access to, to access to technology. Who had even strong enough Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi to be able to do Zoom meetings back to back to back and you're trying to like stream 40 people's videos into your computer, right? But that equity access and are your companies stepping up to provide that? I had to increase my Wi-Fi just as a kicker (laughs) (laughs) because of it. So I definitely understand that. And I think it's, look, you won't be able to account for all of it because there are hyper-personalized and individual reasons that we do or do not come into the office. That's why I think it's important to make sure decisions are made in conjunction with your people instead of for your people. Because if people feel like they've been heard, that they've consistently been brought along the journey and that they uh, know that their feedback was used in the ultimate decision-making process, they're much more forgiving of those individual pieces of it. Of like, yeah, they didn't account for my hour and a half commute, but I know they listened to me and here's what they did. Instead of doing five days a week, they did two days a week in the office or they made it on the least uh, traffic days or they made hours flexible. So you can account for some of those things in the overarching strategy if you're consistent about bringing them along the way. And I just, I, I don't want to let Kayla's comment pass about equity in the process. And you can't let those who have been most marginalized have the smallest voice in the conversation, or you're going to create a culture that centers one identity and one perspective and will continuously alienate those from underrepresented communities. I think it's almost, I I agree in terms of equity, but also kind of recognizing that uh, in the equity lens under COVID, we were all in the same storm, but we were not in the same boat. I mm-hmm. love that analogy. Definitely. And we were, you know, some even didn't have a boat, mm-hmm. and which may be our most marginalized and recognizing that uh, the needs were exacerbated during the pandemic. And in some cases, we still have some of those issues. But even the organization realizing, you know what, not everybody got through this the same way. And how do we recognize that and validate that? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what I love about the Philly Sherm podcast is that it's like church and we have some validation going on with that. Mm-hmm. I was going to snapshot. I hope the audience is doing this with us. We are now raising the roof and giving snaps. 
<laughs> cool HR folks. Cool. Yes, yes. Oh, you know, we don't get to be cool all the time. But we're the ones that are actually making the decisions sometimes that leadership is afraid yeah. to even talk about yeah. and where we have to actually have these conversations. Yeah. So it's uh, uh, it's good to have, for us to um, be here and hopefully our listeners are getting some value in terms of like, you're not alone in in this discussion. And hopefully if you're a part of Philly Sherm, um, we all rally with you. Yeah. I mean, HR has a lot of power and I think sometimes we forget, I know the business leaders are making the final decisions on things, but we can be major influencers in a lot of this work and we are the voice of employees. Sometimes it's our job to amplify those, um, for our leaders, right. And making sure. So y'all listening, y'all have power too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I think in, um, in terms of defining what the workplace is, there's going to be some challenges in terms of, well, we kind of know what we can control in the office. Mm -hmm. Are we looking at leaders that are worried about losing control because one, there could be liability issues and someone working from their home, even though we had to do that during the pandemic because everything shut down. But now that everything's opening up, is it necessary anymore? Do they want to kind of reduce liability of people working in the home and not having a regulated space? So, what do you think are the fears that are coming from leadership? I, I do think it's exactly that, Dr. Joe, of it's I can see you mm -hmm. um, and I know what you're doing when you're in the office. When you're at home, it is different and I can't. And for many of us and many of our leaders, we just grew up managing in a very specific way, right, which included a lot of oversight and insight into what our people are doing. Um, I've always been of the mind that it's about output and not how you get to the space, right? So I've never needed people to work for me to account for every moment of their day because I know I'm going to encroach on their lifetime as well because their think work does not stop in the world, the fields that I've been in at 5 p.m. Yeah. Um, meaning it's it's encroached across that timeline. If you're working across different time zones and in different countries, it, I just know there's going to be some calls that we have at 8 p.m. There's going to be some calls that we have at 6 a.m. All of that happens. And if I'm expecting you to integrate work with your life, I also have to expect work to integrate with your life as well. So how do we make sure that we teach leaders about how do they become focused on outcomes uh, and the things that people are accomplishing versus trying to look at effort and micromanage that part of the process. And it does go all the way back to our conversation about culture early on, because you could update all of the handbooks you want, but people are still going to operate the way that they think they're supposed to operate to be successful in that company. So have you actually had and sat down with your senior leadership team, especially as an HR practitioner, when we talk about being a strategic business partner, is one of the ways we do that, of sitting down with that leadership team and saying, what does the future of our culture look like? And how does return to office, expectations around productivity, and when you're in and out of work, how does that all fit under this broader umbrella around what is the culture of our organization moving forward? Are we strategically making the decision that we want to operate in the exact same way we did pre-2020? Which might be a decision that you all um, make from it, which means that you are also okay with the fallout that happens there. Some people might say, eh, the way we worked during that time frame didn't work for me. I have other options. I'm going to go into that other space. You can't be upset when that happens when you've made a clear decision about it. Alternatively, you might say this is our new culture and we need managers to operate this new way. You might also have fallout from that. And managers might say, ah, I'm really uncomfortable with managing my team in that way. 
I need to go find a space that better aligns with my values and in the way that um, you can get the best out of me. And that's okay as well, because there's no reason to try to fake what you need to be as a company to be successful in order to meet some preconceived notions, because that won't work. And it's really ultimately about being successful in in your business um, and getting uh, the best outcomes for your people. Can we talk a little bit about employee engagement and the fun side of work? Um, I know, right? Because um, I think we talked a little, a lot about productivity and just doing the job, right? But a lot of the conversation around where we do work, how we do work, and the work that we get done pulls in this concept of like, well, what about happy hours? Well, what about the Christmas party? Well, what about, you know, all the all the extra fun stuff that builds community, that builds friendship, that builds relationships? You know, what are some of the considerations that we need to pull in when we're thinking about how, where, when we do this, do the work? Yeah, and I think it's such an interesting question because, look, the decisions in the moment to go to those types of activities outside of work hours when you don't have to be in the office are difficult. Because if I've been home all week and I have a family or I don't have a family, I just kind of have responsibilities that I'm taking care of. And you're asking me on Thursday night to come to the city and drive 30, 45 minutes, an hour to be there for a happy hour. And there's no real business relationship to it. Plus parking. Plus parking. I might just say like, yeah, like y'all. But I'm going to stay home yeah. for it. Uh, and we all have styles that way. So realizing that is really important when you look at those and say, why aren't people coming? Why aren't they coming to our event? I think there are ways that you can mitigate that as leaders. One could be um, doing it during company hours, right? So that people don't have to volunteer their off time in order to get it done. Are you as senior leaders going to it? A lot of times senior leaders don't go to those things and we sort of allow our people to go because we think it's not for us. But you're setting a tempo uh, in a tone that it's not that important for them either. So are you showing up and is it an opportunity for them to get exposure to you as well as a senior leader? You'd be surprised if you throw one of those during the day. Hey, this is our company community day such and such CEO, COO will be there. Can't wait to informally meet all of you. You're going to get a lot of attendance right away from that type of exposure. So maybe you think about executive sponsors for every event who them and their senior leadership team comes out each time so that people feel comfortable getting there. Uh, And giving people advance notice is really important as well. So it can't be one of those things where next week we're going to call you all into the office to come to this informal activity because People make plans long in advance. So how are you making sure that it's structured, it's consistent, people know what to expect, and they're clear about the outcomes related to it so that you're not just getting your extroverted crew, you're getting the broader spectrum of your workplace to show up. I definitely think that consistency piece is important because if you say every Wednesday at 2 p.m., come down to the lunch office or, you know, we're just going to have a good time, we're going to mingle and get to know one another, you'll end up with more employees there as well. And the one thing I add is be consistent, but don't go stale. Yeah. Um, Because sometimes what will happen is we'll throw the reoccurring on people's calendars. So it's every Wednesday at 2 o'clock. The first three are packed out. The fourth one gets a little bit less. And by time number 15, there's three people there (laughs) who's often the organizer and their four closest Mm -hmm. friends, right? Like, um, so you got to be consistent, but not stale and making sure that you're always clear the outcomes associated with this, this activity. 
And it's all about culture change and change management related to that. So what does fun mean? Does fun mean you've shown up for the happy hour or does fun mean I enjoy my work every day? Right. Because I I would argue that the latter is much more important than um, the company gathering that we have a lot of people showed up to. Uh, and I, I would also be in touch on, I know we keep using happy hours, sort of like the general term for it, but I would be conscious of for organizations not to over-index mm-hmm. on those types of things. There are implications around always trying to invite people out to drink yeah. um, mm-hmm. and to bars, and those atmospheres aren't comfortable for yes. everyone. So there are some times that you might be doing things that people feel isolated from. So mm-hmm. you also need to, to change up the format in a way so that you're meeting different types of needs based on uh, different types of perspectives in the workplace. Um, but I, I think it needs to fit into a broader strategy that you have. And if that strategy within your workplace is we need to ensure that while we have this hybrid environment where people aren't really coming into the office that often, we still need to make sure that there is interpersonal connection happening because that is more difficult virtually and it's a bit more transactional when I have to schedule a meeting with you, jump on a GBC, and we're staring at each other's face awkwardly if, <laughs> if, you're, if we're honest uh, with one another. It's just harder to make those like side friendships in, in that way. And if you're saying it is really important for our culture to have connection informally because it helps us to drive outcomes down the line. And here's how we can point to how it's been successful for us in the past. And these gatherings that we're doing are a strategy for us to help facilitate those connections. You can be that frank with your employees. There's no reason for that to be a secret. And to have your leaders come out and say, here's where we're going, right? Mm -hmm. This is what we're headed to from a workplace standpoint. These are the tenets of the way we've operated historically that we want to keep. And here are some of the strategies that we're going to be implementing in order to get there. There will be these company gatherings that will be happening. There will be mentoring programs. There's going to be this. What what are the strategies that you're going to be deploying in order to make sure that you're driving the outcomes that you've articulated? Yeah, what I'm really appreciating right now is it's making me think about fun, right? And in this context, because I'm thinking like, okay, I think the running meme or joke is like mandatory fun, right? Yeah. So it's really making me consider like, oh, was that company picnic actually fun for people? Or was it just an excuse for them to get away from their desk? And it was like sanctioned time away from the desk, right? So it's really making me think about like, okay, well, what does fun look like for me? And and showing up just to show face, is that getting that ROI for the company, right? Is that really fostering connection? Because if your employees are coming down to the company picnic or whatever, and they're still sitting in those little siloed groups of the people that they've always sat with or talked to, I don't know if it's really fostering that connection that people are looking for. Uh, this takes me back um, to do a Philly Sherm reference, if you will. Uh, if you all, some of you may know David Raymond, who does, uh, a, he did a Philly Sherm closing session for us a few years ago around the power of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's such a, and, oh, uh, I remember that, yes. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a really good topic. And um, David is, uh, he's local. He's the, um, the person who created the Philly Fanatic, if anyone wants to look him up. Um, and, um, and Gritty, I believe he was on mm-hmm. the team that uh, imagined Gritty. Uh, <laughs> and he does this powerful talk around the power of fun and it, the impact that it can have. And they help you to think differently about fun and what it means inside the workplace. But it is very different for each person. I mean, fun for me might be being home with my family. Yes. <laughs> and if you create time for me to be home with my family in a focused way where I'm not thinking about work all the time, psh, I love it here. Yeah. But fun for me also could be I want to see Dr. Joe. And if I get to sit Aww. down with Dr. Joe, <laughs> I 
do. Uh, uh, and if I get to sit down with Dr. Joe and just kind of chop it up, yeah. I've, I've had a great day. Um, fun is my middle name. Fun is <laughs> Dr. Fun Joe. Dr. Fun Joe. Dr. Joe Fun. Ooh, yes. All right, yes, new yes. moniker. Podcast name. Podcast name. So with that being said, um, I think we are ready to wrap up. And we like to end our episodes with a fun question for our guests Ooh. and our guest contributors. <laughs> um, so, you know, if you, we are in the multiverse, right? You know, and there's multiple Jamel Rushes just running out in these different layered oh dimensions. Oh, my gosh. Help us. I know, right? <laughs> that is scary. <laughs> and if one of them was doing your ideal job, dream job, you know, you're not doing DEI here, you know, uh, what would that be? Oh, so I do love DEI. So oh, I, I don't sure. want yeah, to. Yeah. Say that DEI yeah. is that. So, so it's like your question fantasy. is, what's the second best job You're right. for multiverse yes, Jamil? Yes. Um, I actually weirdly think about this a lot. <laughs> I do. Um, I'm excited to hear the answer now. And I think about it like, what are the major life decisions that if I made differently where I would end up? And circa seventh grade, eighth grade, I decided not to go to a creative and performing arts high school. Mm. And Kappa? I, Kappa, Kappa, yes, yeah. specifically for those who are in Philadelphia. Yeah. yeah, so I, I was accepted for drama. And Ooh. it was like, mm-hmm. what is Interesting. What? Yeah, okay. I, yeah. for a very long time, like wanted to be a thespian. <laughs> uh, go act. And honestly, the only reason I decided not to is because someone told me, some adult was like, you know you don't make any money <laughs> acting right. And I was like, oh, I need to make Man. money. America. <laughs> for so there is a multiverse version of me somewhere who decided to go there and pursued mm-hmm. a career in acting and is either really successful or a bartender. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or could be both. Could or be both. both. Touche. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so to again, be or not to be right. Jimmy O'Reilly. Right? I've, I've lost it all. <laughs> telling you, we're going to do an HR talent show. Like, it's just going to have to happen. So stay tuned, audience. We may have an HR talent show. <laughs> <laughs> We hope you got some ideas for yourself and your organizations. Kayla, did you know that members of Philly Sherm get exclusive podcast content? That's right. They can get it through the member portal at phillysherm.org. But what if you're not a member, Dr. Joe? Not a problem. They can visit our website at phillysherm.org slash membership to get more information and to sign up. Also, folks can connect with us on social media like Instagram and LinkedIn with our handle at phillysherm or by searching hashtag phillysherm. Well, with that, thanks for joining us. This is HR Fresh Take.